Hello, Real Life family and friends. Uh, Pastor Tim here, excited to share the word with you today. Uh, thank you for tuning in. And today's message is entitled, See Jesus. We need to see Jesus, but what I'm referring to is seeing Jesus in ourselves, like who we are in Him, so that we can also see one another and see Jesus in one another. Uh, so my, my verse I want to challenge you with today uh, is found in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 16. And this is the verse I want you to think about, meditate on, and it says this. It says, So from now on, we regard no one from a worldly point of view. From now on, we regard no one from a worldly point of view. We're not going to look at each other, and I'm challenging us to not even look at ourselves through a worldly point of view anymore, but through God's point of view, through God's eyes. And so as we continue this series, and by the way, this series is called Home Improvement Relationship Edition. We are talking about relationships. And the greatest thing that you can do in your relationships with other people is to be Jesus and to see Jesus in them. And so we're going to talk about that today. How do I see Jesus? Who am I really? Who am I really? And what is the difference between looking at myself and looking at others through a worldly point of view versus looking at myself and looking at others through God's point of view? It makes all the difference in terms of our attitudes, our decisions, our words, our feelings. It, it completely changes the way that we interact with one another and the way that we feel and think about ourselves. Okay, so let's start with how we typically are challenged internally with some attitudes and thinking patterns that just come with the territory of living in a fallen world that um, comes with us making mistakes, having failures, having people say things about us and to us uh, that, that just create extra challenges that God wants to rework and renew these thinking patterns and these thought patterns and what I'm going to call false identities in us so that we no longer look at ourselves through a worldly point of view, but through God's point of view, okay? So we all have thought patterns and false identities that we need to adjust and correct and change. And whatever false identities that we do have that we're currently living out of, those things are having a direct impact on our relationships, our reactions, our decisions. Um, and so we're going to walk through some of those. For instance, if I'm insecure inside, uh, that's going to affect how I'm relating to the people on the outside. If I feel unworthy or unqualified, or if I struggle with being rejected or feeling not good enough, all of those internal thought patterns, all of those internal uh, wirings are affecting how I'm viewing the people around me, are affecting how I think that um, interpreting life events around me and, and how I'm reacting to those things. And it's all based on... Um, a worldly point of view, right? It's based on my sin, my failures, uh, uh, what has been done to me, what has been said to me, what I believe about myself. But God wants you to see things through his eyes and he wants you to walk in truth. So if you're feeling unwanted or unspecial or unloved or ashamed, God wants to heal those thinking patterns. He wants you to think differently because there is a different reality that's coming from heaven towards you than the reality that has come at you through sin and through a fallen, dark, broken world. Amen? So today I hope to give you hope and encouragement. And these things are not easily changed in our lives. It takes a process. It takes effort. 
It takes transformation. The Bible says we need to renew our minds according to God's word and God's thoughts. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to walk through five different thought patterns that you might have uh, experienced in your life. And if you have any of these that really stand out in you, I'm going to give you four scriptures for every one of these points. So I'm going to read 20 verses to you today. And I'm challenging you, if you want to take on one of these five attitudes, if you feel like, yeah, that one most describes my experience right now in life, then you've got four verses I'm going to give you that I'm challenging you to meditate on, to think about, to pray into your spirit until you change your mind and until you believe these verses that I'm going to read for you. Because this is not easily done. It is not easily accomplished. You have to decide to change your mind and you have to replace those old thoughts with God's word, God's truth. And if you do that and you press in and you stick with it and you meditate, memorize, and begin to make this your new belief system, then Jesus says you will know the truth and the truth will set you free. It'll change your life. It takes effort. It takes work. So we're just going to scratch the surface today. I'm going to give you some scriptures and some tools for you to begin to use and work with. But I highly recommend that you come to our Celebrate Recovery ministry on Wednesdays here at the church and begin to work out these old patterns and work in God's truth with the context of other people who are doing the same thing. All right, we all have things that we need to work on. So if you need that extra support, which I encourage you to, come to Celebrate Recovery. It's a great place for you to find people who will care about you, keep your stuff confidential, but also they're working on things too. And we are better together. We need each other. You're not alone, okay? So let's dive right in with the first kind of attitude thing. Before I get, actually, before I get to that, I want to just... Uh, cover this verse here because when it says in 2 Corinthians 5.16 it says so from now on we regard no one from a worldly point of view though we once regarded Jesus in this way we do so no longer we're not looking at Jesus as just a person we, we see him spiritually now as the son of God the Messiah and he goes on to say Christ in this way we don't we don't longer look at him that way but verse 17 therefore if anyone is in Christ he is a new creation. The old is gone. The new has come. This is how we are supposed to view ourselves. Based on the word of God, the old is gone. The new has come. We are a new creation. So what is this talking about? Well, it's not talking about our physical height or our weight or our skin color. That's not gone away. Um, that's not new. I'm still, I'm still the same size I was the day I got saved, you know. Well, actually not because I was a little child. But, you know, when I got saved... The next couple of minutes, my body didn't change, my skin color didn't change, my eye color didn't change. So it's not talking about that. That's not what's being new. Uh, it's also not talking about our family. I still had the same mom and dad after I got saved. I still had the same sister. I still lived, lived in the same house, right? So it's not talking about all of a sudden I'm eradicated, my past is gone. I still went to the same school. I still remember the things that I'd learned. So we're not talking about a new education. We're not talking about a new background, a new family. Um, uh, we're not talking about these things. So what is changed? What is new? What has passed away? The old has passed away. The new has come. All things have been made new. I'm a new creation. What is that talking about? It's talking about identity. My identity is brand new. I'm no longer a sinner. I'm no longer, um, you know, condemned to, to death. I am now a child of God. And the Bible uses this phrase, two-word phrase, to describe who you are. And it is, you are in Christ. You are in Jesus. 
You belong to God and now Christ is in you and you are in him. You are in his identity. So whatever is credited to Christ is now credited to you. This is a whole different ballgame. That's why the Bible says the old is gone, the old identity of you striving for self-significance, for value, for purpose, for meaning. Your old um, uh, structures that you use to find value in your life, that no longer has any bearing upon your value because your value no, does not come from what you do or what you accomplish, but who you are. And who you are is changed. You are a child of God. You are in Jesus. Everything credited to Jesus is now credited to you. And this is how we switch from looking at ourselves and one another through a worldly point of view. Oh, you're that person. You do this. You accomplish that. I, I like you or I don't like you based on these things. No, 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 no. That's not how we're doing it anymore because we are new creations in Christ Jesus. We have a new identity and we need to change and catch up with that, the truth of our new identity. So that's what this talk is all about is to help you do that. You know, um, some of you know a, a very famous athlete by the name of Michael Phelps and he is the, uh, a great swimmer. Uh, an Olympian and he became a professional athlete at age 15 and he won 28 Olympic medal medals and 23 gold gold medals uh, through four Olympics and he set 39 world records. He is the most accomplished Olympic athlete of all time and after he got all those golds and all those medals he went through a huge depression. And, and he said that he didn't even want to live anymore. He became suicidal. And I just wonder if it's because his value and his identity was based on himself as a swimmer and winning medals and what he could do and accomplish. And as soon as all that was done, he didn't know who he was. He didn't know what his purpose was, you see. And so our identity does not come from what we do. Just this week, um, Christy, uh, or I'm sorry, Chelsea Christ, who was Miss USA of 2019. I read an article just this week that she committed suicide. And this, this beautiful young lady, she's 30 years old. Uh, she was an attorney with an MBA. She was crowned, as I said, Miss USA of 2019 um, from North Carolina. She also finished in the top 10 in the Miss Universe competition. She had intelligence, beauty, she had everything going for her. And yet, Something inside of her led her to take her own life. And I just wonder if it was because her identity was in other things, right? But your identity, my identity, is not anything to do with what we do, but who we are. And that's what I want to challenge you with today. So let's look at these uh, different thought patterns and attitudes. You are a child of God. Number one, if you are feeling alone, if you're feeling unsupported, or if you're feeling left out, Know that God is with you. God has chosen you. God has filled you with his spirit. You are not alone. You are not forgotten. You are not abandoned. God is always with you and he's for you. Now, people may have forgotten. People may have abandoned you. People may have uh, not supported you. Okay, but this is not true of God. 
God loves you. He is for you. He's with you. Hebrews 13, 5, God says, never will I leave you. Never will I forsake you. Even if you think you are alone and there's nobody else around you, God is with you. You are not alone. God is with you. Jesus said this in Matthew 28, 20. Surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. He, would, he promised to never leave us. In John chapter 14, Jesus says this in verse 16 to 18. And I will ask the Father, he will give you another advocate to help you and be with you forever. The Spirit of truth, the Holy Spirit. For he lives with you and will be in you. He lives with you and will be in you. I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you. So Jesus not only is, is with us, but he has sent his spirit to live in us and to be with us and to be our advocate and to lead us into truth. So you're, the Holy Spirit is with you at all times, at all times. You are never alone. You are not abandoned. You are not forgotten. You are precious in God's view, in God's eyes. Ephesians 1.4 says, he chose us. He chose us in him before the creation of the world to be holy and blameless in his sight. God chose you before you were even born. He chose you to be in his family. Isn't that awesome? So if that's an issue in your heart that you're feeling alone, you're feeling unsupported, you're feeling left out, you need to rework your mind with God's truth because God is with you. He's for you. He loves you. His spirit is in you. God has chosen you. These are truths. And once you get those truths in your heart, you become more secure in who you are and you're able then to begin to love people and, and support people yourself, okay? Number two, if you're feeling unloved, know that God loves you. He values you. He's pleased with you. You are not unloved. You are loved deeply. Um, John 3, 16 and 17, Jesus said, God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever would believe in him or trust in him would not perish but have everlasting life. God so loves you, Jesus said, greater love than John 15, 13 has no one than this to lay down one's life for one's friends. And that's exactly what Jesus did. He showed us his great, the greatest expression of love by giving his life for us. The Bible says in Romans 5, 8, that God demonstrates his love for us in this, while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. There is no greater demonstration that God could give of his love for you and for me. You are loved. Now, you may not feel loved by people, but God loves you. And, and it is true, and you need to dwell on this and be refreshed and encouraged of how much God loves you and how, how much attention God is giving you, all right? Romans 8, 38 to 39 says, Paul says, I'm convinced that neither death nor life, nor, neither angels nor demons, neither the present nor the future, nor any powers, neither height or depth, or anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Nothing can stop the love of God that he has for you and for me. I just want to say this because it's a, a different way of thinking about it that might help you understand some things here. Because a lot of people don't feel loved by God because they're looking at their sin, they're looking at their failure, they're looking at their performance. So let me just say this very clearly to you. God's love for you is not dependent on your behavior. Okay? Let me say it this way. You are not loved more by God when you're doing good and you are not loved less by God when you're doing wrong. 
And the reason I can say that is because God's love has no, um, is not influenced at all by your behavior. God is love and he loves you. The Bible makes it clear that even while we were sinners, God demonstrated his love for us. So it has nothing to do with our performance. You are loved. You will always be loved. God's love for you will never waver. His love is unconditional. It doesn't mean that sin is okay for us because it damages our lives. And God loves us enough to pull us out of sin, to transform us, to renew us. But God's love is not based on your personal behaviors of whether you're doing good or doing bad. God loves you. You are loved. Don't let the enemy lie to you that you are not loved or you're unqualified because of something that you did. That is not true. That's why Jesus came to forgive us of our sins so we could be reconciled to God. Okay? Number three, if you're feeling rejected, unwanted, or unimportant. A lot of people feel these things. Rejected, unwanted, unimportant because of people in their lives have rejected them. Or, or have, uh, you know, abandoned them or given up on them or don't, don't treat them right, right? If you feel these things, know that you are a child of God. You are his treasured possession. You are his masterpiece and you are the apple of his eye. And God has chosen you. He has picked you out to be a part of his family. He is for you. You are a masterpiece, the treasured possession of God. Right? That's who you are. And how people have treated you does not define your value. That's a worldly point of view. But God's view is you are his special possession. Okay? And you need to let that sink deep into your soul and heal you from the hurts of the people who have rejected you. Just because they've rejected you doesn't mean you are rejected. God has not rejected you. He has accepted you in Christ Jesus. And you can't be any more accepted than you are right now in God and in Christ. This is what the Bible says, 1 John 3, 1. See what great love the Father has lavished on us, that we should be called children of God. And that is what we are. We are children of God. God has adopted you into his family. He's picked you out and he has loved you and rescued you. Deuteronomy 7, 6 says, For you are a people holy to the Lord your God. The Lord your God has chosen you out of all the peoples on the face of the earth to be his people, his treasured possession. First Peter 2.9, But you are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's special possession, that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. And then Ephesians 2.10 says, we are God's handiwork. Another translation says, we are God's masterpiece. You know, that special handcrafted um, one of a kind. You are God's masterpiece created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. These are truths. This is how God sees you. This is how you need to see yourself. You need to see Jesus in you. This is who you are. This is your new identity. You are loved. You are chosen. You are special. You're accepted. Right? God is with you. You're not alone. You have everything that you need. Okay? Uh, number four, if you're feeling ashamed or unqualified because of your mistakes or your sin, know that God has forgiven you of all your sin. He has qualified you through Jesus' sacrifice, and he calls you 
to follow him and to trust in him. He believes in you. He has a purpose for you. He has a calling on your life. And you are qualified because of what Jesus has done. Not because of something that you've done, but because of what Jesus has done. And what Jesus has accomplished has now been credited to your account. Don't let the devil lie to you or accuse you of something that Jesus didn't do enough to save you or to forgive you. Are you kidding me? His blood, the son, the blood of the Lamb of God, the Son of God, was shed in your stead. I think that's plenty, all right? It is. The Bible says there's no doubt about it that when we place our faith in Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior, we are forgiven of all of our sin. Listen to these truths. Romans 8, 1. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. It just doesn't exist. There's no grounds for you to be condemned or guilty or ashamed anymore. There's just no reason for it. Colossians 1, 21 to 22 says, Once you were alienated from God and were enemies in your minds because of your evil behavior. But now... He has reconciled you by Christ's physical body through death to present you holy in his sight, without blemish and free from accusation. So this is God's view of you. You now are holy. You are blameless. You are free of accusation. This is how God sees you. But some of us don't see ourselves that, that way. So we need to change our mind. We need to see Jesus' identity in us. This is who God sees us. This is what's really true. Okay, Hebrews 10, verses 12 to 14. But when this priest, Jesus, had offered for all time one sacrifice for sins, his life, he sat down at the right hand of God, and since that time, he waits for his enemies to be made his footstool. For by one sacrifice, he has made perfect forever those who are being made holy. That's you and that's me. His sacrifice was sufficient for our righteousness. There is no more need for any sacrifice anymore to be done for sin because Jesus fulfilled it completely. Matthew 5, verses 14 and 16, Jesus says to us, You are the light of the world. Let your light shine to others that they may see your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven. Jesus redeems us, forgives us, and he calls us into the purpose of witnessing to God's love and forgiveness through what he's done. You have a purpose. You are qualified. You are called. And you're equipped to do what God's called you to do. So let your light shine. And fifthly, if you're feeling insecure or afraid, know that God is with you. He will strengthen you. And he will give you power to overcome. It's not based on your power. It's based on God's power. It's not based on your effort. It's based on knowing that God is with you and God is for you and God is the one at work in us, right? So the scriptures say this in Isaiah 41.10, Do not fear, for I am with you. Do not be dismayed, for I am your God. I will strengthen you and help you. I will uphold you with my righteous right hand. So God is with you. You are not alone and there is no need for fear because God is on your side. God will strengthen you and he will work on your behalf. So have faith in God. Be encouraged and strengthened in God. You are not doing this without God's help. You have God with you. 
Okay? Second Timothy 1.7 in the New American Standard Bible says, God has not given us a spirit of timidity or fear, but of power and love and discipline. Right? So the spirit that comes from God is not fear. Opposite of that, power, love, discipline. Right? God empowers us to success. In Joshua 1.9, God says, Have I not commanded you? Be strong and courageous. Do not be afraid. Do not be discouraged. For the Lord your God will be with you wherever you go. Boy, that's a good verse to memorize. That God is with me wherever I go. Wherever I go, God is with me. I have no fear because God is with me. And finally, John 16.33, Jesus says, I have told you these things so that in me you have peace. You may have peace. In this world you have trouble, but take heart, I have overcome the world. And he's implying, because I have overcome the world and I am in you, you will overcome the world as you follow me and trust in me. So there's no need for us to be afraid. We have peace. We have power. We have love. We have God. All right? And so when the, when the Bible talks about not regarding no one from a worldly point of view, and it follows by saying, because those who are in Christ Jesus are new creations. The old is gone. Behold, all things have become new. It's talking about our identity. And I've tried to identify just some of the thinking patterns and the struggles that some of us have and how those need to be changed because we are sons and daughters of God. We are no longer uh, filled with shame. We're no longer unforgiven. We're no longer... Um, you know, left in bondage. We are no longer victims. Listen, Jesus has forgiven us. He has filled us. He loves us. He is with us. He is for us. And we need to change our mind. Because if we get healing on the inside, we let these attitudes and thoughts be changed by God's truth. You become a different person to the people around you. Instead of always being offended or always hurt or always lacking or always questioning people's motives, you're not even thinking about that anymore because you are filled with Christ's identity and now you can be Jesus and you can see Jesus in other people. You can see Jesus in other people. Wouldn't that be awesome? <laughs> and this is a, a great challenge for us. Let me just give you one final example, an example out of the scriptures of what I mean by being Jesus, okay? And seeing Jesus in other people. We gotta see Jesus in ourselves. But boy, oh boy, is it awesome when we begin to see Jesus in one another. Let me just read a quick story for you out of the book of John. It's about a guy named Nathaniel, one of Jesus' eventual disciples. It says in verse 45 of chapter 1 of John, Philip found Nathaniel. And told him, we have found the one Moses wrote about in the law, and about whom the prophets also wrote about, Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph. So Philip goes to Nathaniel, his buddy, says, we found the Messiah. We found him. And this is what um, his response was, <laughs> uh, Nathaniel's response. Nazareth, Nazareth, he says, can anything good come from there? Nathaniel asked. And Philip said, come and see. <laughs> so Philip wasn't deterred by the sarcasm, you know, or the skepticism that Nathaniel was, was pushing back with. He's like, are you kidding me? What could come out of Nazareth? This guy can't be really the, the Messiah if he's coming from Nazareth, right? He was insulting um, where Jesus was coming from. 
So anyway, it goes on to say, when Jesus saw Nathanael approaching, he said of him, here is a true Israelite in whom there is nothing false. Wow. This was quite a compliment that Jesus was saying. When Jesus met Nathanael, he looked at Nathanael and instead of, listen, this is what I want you and I to practice, to see Jesus in each other, okay? Instead of looking at Nathanael's skepticism or sarcasm, you know, Jesus looked into his heart and he saw a man who truly wanted to know God. And he called the image of God out of Nathanael with this compliment. And he says, here is a man uh, in whom there is nothing false. He, he, wants, he wants God. And he, he just basically called out the good of Nathaniel. And Nathaniel said, how do you know me? And he's still being kind of skeptical and, you know, a, a little snippy with Jesus. How, how do you even know, know me? How, how can you even say something like that about me? How do you know me? You don't even know me. We've never even met before. And then Jesus answered, I saw you while you're still under the fig tree before Philip called you. And evidently, um, Jesus had a vision of Nathanael and he had a gift there to see Nathanael because when he said this to him, Nathanael declared, Rabbi, you are the Son of God. You are the King of Israel. Because um, what Jesus said was true and Nathanael knew he was under a, a tree, a fig tree, and somehow Jesus knew this. So in terms of Nathanael's opinion, because he knew this, he must be God, right? But my point is, when he met with Nathaniel, it would have been easy for him to look at his exterior, his crustiness, his skepticism, and, and just kind of, you know, uh, be a little put off by all that. But Jesus looks at the inside of a person. I could go through many stories of Jesus' interactions, interactions with others. And he never deals with the outside. He always goes to the inside. How many of us would like others to see the good inside of us, right? Instead of our exterior attitudes or struggles. And what if God could give you the ability to stop focusing on the exterior, right? The worldly view of the people around you and you saw their soul and you saw the image of God inside of them. You saw Jesus inside of them and you helped call that forth out of the crusty exterior. What if you and I could start doing that for one another? Man, wouldn't that be amazing to call forth the God image within us instead of focusing on the symptoms of sin on the outside? Okay, here's my thought. We all sin. We all have patterns of brokenness and we're working on them. Well, most of us are working on them. Some of us, we're not working on them. But, you know, none of us are perfect. We all have hiccups. We all have struggles. We all have problems. But God wants you, first of all, to see who you are in Jesus. And he also wants you to begin to look through those same lenses to one another and see Jesus in each other. That's what this verse is all about in 2 Corinthians 5.16. For not, from now on, we regard no one according to the worldly point of view. But we are seeing the new creation in each other. We're calling the God part forth. So I want to encourage you 
to first of all, let God transform your thinking on the inside. So you see Jesus in you. You see who you really are, child of God, and all those wonderful things that we talked about, that you will meditate, memorize, and work on some of these verses I gave you today so you will change those thoughts from a worldly point of view to God's point of view. When you do that, it will enable you to begin to see the same things in other people. Instead of focusing on the sin and the hurts and the pain, you can go beyond that and you can see the God image in those around you. And we can build each other up. We can encourage each other and strengthen our relationships with each other. We all need other people in our lives to see Jesus in us, to call the best out from us that's within. We need that encouragement. So may you be that encourager and may you also be that encourager to yourself and let God show you who he really made you to be and who you really are in Jesus. Let me pray with us as we close. And if today you need to make Jesus the Lord of your life, pray this prayer in your heart with me. Say, Jesus, I come to you today thanking you that you love me, you died for me, you gave your life to rescue me. You showed your love by giving your life so that I could have life in you. Today, I declare with my mouth and I believe in my heart, Jesus, you are Lord and God has raised you from the dead as Lord and Savior. Today I receive you. I place my life into your hands as the Lord of my life, the Savior of my life. I choose to follow you all the days of my life. May you fill me with your Holy Spirit and empower me to live this new life in you and through you. In Jesus' name, amen. I just want to pray for you as well that God will help us and empower us to see who we really are. God, may you take this message May you take your Holy Spirit and your word and just massage and, and uh, absorb into our souls your truth, your identity. For the, for the one that's watching right now, God, I just pray um, for newness of thought and freedom from a worldly thought about themselves and old identities. God, those things have passed away. We are now new in you, Jesus, and help us to receive the truth of your word. Help these saints to heal the hurts of the past and the labels of the past and help us to see Jesus in ourselves and see Jesus in other people around us, God. Help us to be a blessing, a fountain of life, not cursing, an encourager, not a discourager, a builder, not a terror downer. And Lord, may you just continue to let our light shine brightly. Shine brightly, Lord. Turn the light on inside of our soul. Heal our soul that we can shine brighter and brighter to those around us in Jesus' name. Thank you, Lord. Amen. Amen. Well, may the Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face shine upon you and be gracious to you. And the Lord lift up his countenance upon you, give you his peace in his name. Amen. God bless you. I love you. See you soon.